Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our review of the in-camera testimony of Jeannie Sackinger. In this installment, we present further arguments between the attorneys regarding the admissibility of financial crimes evidence in the trial. We also begin our look at the testimony of investigator Dylan Hightower, who reviewed the crime scene the day after the murders. That's all coming up right after the break. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and t-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. It is just before lunchtime on February 2nd, 2023, day 7 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, the parties finished their examinations of Jeannie Seconder, the CFO of the defendant's former law firm, in a hearing outside the presence of the jury. As we begin today, the prosecution and the defense resume their debate over whether or not Judge Clifton Newman should allow the jury to hear evidence of the defendant's financial crimes. The prosecution asserts that Ms. Seconder's testimony specifically her discovery of the defendant's financial crimes as well as the impact of the murders of Maggie and Paul on the investigation into those crimes, should be admissible because it is relevant to the defendant's state of mind at the time of the murders. Prosecutor Creighton Waters also offers to bring in other witnesses for in-camera testimony to demonstrate for the judge that their evidence would support the evidence presented through the testimony of Ms. Seconder and therefore should be admissible. Again, the prosecution's over overarching argument during the hearing is that Alex Murdoch murdered his wife and son in order to try to cover up and or distract attention from his financial misdeeds. Defense attorney Jim Griffin rises to rebut the prosecution's argument. Your Honor, I, I, I think there's more than enough in the record from this witness to establish that this evidence is not admissible under 404B. And without even getting to whether they can uh, prove it up by clear and convincing evidence. South Carolina Judicial Rule 404B states that evidence of other crimes, wrongs, or acts is not admissible to prove the character of a criminal defendant. The exception to this rule is that such evidence may be admissible to show motive, identity, or intent. Jim Griffin then moves on to address Judicial Rule 403, which holds that relevant evidence may be excluded if its probative value is substantially outweighed by the danger of unfair prejudice, undue delay, confusion of the issues, or misleading the jury. Your Honor, 403 also includes a component of undue delay. And as he just described, all the financial misdeeds or crimes that he wants to prove up, we're going to be here until end of February, I suspect, or March, because that's adding two weeks to this trial. Yes, sir. Creighton Waters again responds for the prosecution. Yes, sir. And obviously, uh, as I even 
pointed out with this witness, we're trying to streamline uh, the presentation. Uh, frankly, the extent of misappropriation is very, very broad, and we're trying to focus on just a few areas. And the ones that we're focusing on are the ones that really came out of his mouth within seconds of uh, law enforcement being on the scene, within seconds of the 911 call happening, and that is, of course, the boat case. And what does that mean? Uh, that there was, but there's two things that are very temporarily connected with this particular crime, and that is the confrontation with Ms. Seconder that morning over the fares fees that have been percolating for a while, and then number two is that pending hearing that very week in the boat case which again, the purpose of that hearing is to, um, in a specific uh, request for production and interrogatory, to identify all accounts. And again, once you do that, once those accounts are identified, uh, just like Mr. Seconder was able to do, uh, just like law enforcement was able to do, the state grand jury was able to do, it doesn't take long to figure all that out and, and then lead to not only what's happened here, his disbarment, but also, I don't have to get into this specifically, but 99 counts for which he's facing a possible sentence of life without parole on that alone. And so that kind of consequence that's hanging out there is very much relevant and very timely to what was going on June the 7th in his life. The defense asked the question, can you think of any reason? And all of this going on in his life, which is a stellar series of events like nothing ever seen, is certainly relevant for the jury to consider when they consider a perfect storm that was arriving for this man on June the 7th. Judge Newman addresses a question to the defense. Uh, Griffin, the uh, witnesses that are here, Ms. Griswold, Chris Wilson, and Mike, uh, Mr. Gunn, confession of judgment and, and the disbarment, do you contest the matters which they uh, are here to testify concerning? It depends on how far they go with their testimony, but I'd certainly, you know, predicate for Mr. Gunn to testify those they didn't have an account at Bank of America and those checks were not deposited with us and I didn't know anything about this. I mean, that we're accepting acceptable to that and just, you know, without knowing full scope of what they intend to offer, it's hard to say yes, but that's all. I mean, just like this witness, I mean, she has a lot of information that she learned through invest investigation, but if we had to try this case, you know, 90% of it, she couldn't testify to. Out that those witnesses that I've mentioned, as well as every single one of those victims, all testified. You know, there is transcripts on that, which the defense has had, uh, which, uh, you know, Your Honor has access to as well. Uh, so I don't know that necessarily it needs to all be repeated for Your Honor's determination now, because again, as he just said, you know, those facts have, have been testified to. Uh, it's just a question of the parameters for this particular trial, which again, the state's intent is not to try a hundred white collar cases in the context of this murder case. It's only to explain to the jury enough of what was going on, unfathomable set of events for a lawyer, what was going on in his life that were all coming to a head on June 7th. I can't, I think that's extremely relevant and we plan to do so in a very expedited and focused fashion. Your Honor, I would say for purposes of the trial, going forward with the jury, I mean, we're, we're not, Stipulating to any fact. Hearing, I'm very candid with the court. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. 
Just before the lunch break, Judge Clifton Newman asserts his opinion on the matter. As far as the court's view of things and what the court needs to determine to be convinced that clear and convincing evidence exists, clear and convincing evidence is not proof beyond a reasonable doubt and all that. It says that degree of proof which will give me a firm belief as to the facts sought to be proven. And if those specific facts are not being contested, what the communications with Ms. Griswold, that's in the record, Chris Wilson, there may be Attorney Wilson, may be some dispute, I don't know. Mr. Gunn, you know, Forge is a well-known consulting firm, and the Bank of America account says, Richard A. Murdoch sole proprietor DBA Forge, confession of judgment, disbarment, you know, the, I'm happy to sit and hear any and all of the testimony. Judge Newman next makes reference to a federal case called U.S. versus Siegel, which held that 404B motive evidence is admissible, where a murder statute required the government to prove not only that the defendant killed a victim, but that she killed the victim for purposes of preventing him or anyone else from providing law enforcement with information about federal crimes she committed. Uh, one of the things that did occur in the Siegel case was the, um, the judge who got reversed uh, didn't want to spend time listening and hearing all of the evidence because of the expediency of things. And, and the court says, although we sympathize with the court's concern about the length and complexity of the trial, we nevertheless conclude that the importance of the evidence, due to the importance of the evidence, it must be presented and the court must receive it. So I am happy to do that without needless presentation of evidence twice, more than once. And now I understand the defense's position, and I'm not seeking any waiver on the question of whether or not uh, this should be admitted or, or not admitted. I know you each have your arguments on regarding um, 404 issues, and I haven't heard much uh, argument on the race geste issue, which is equally important, or perhaps more important. But if, if you uh, are interested in contesting the nature of each one of these witnesses' testimony, if they're here and available, we can hear them. Your Honor, I, as I mentioned earlier, I strongly believe that based on what you've heard thus far, it doesn't meet the elements of 404B, and you don't need to get to, to, uh, to whether it's been proven up by clear and convincing. I mean, if, if you rule against us on that, then we have to... How about race geste? Judge Newman brings up race geste again. Race geste refers to those acts and declarations which are such an intimate part of the criminal event that their existence must be known to the court. Earlier in the trial, Newman cited race geste as an exception to the rule that would exclude evidence of the defendant's past bad acts. Well, the only thing that would come close to race geste is is your dress just just tomato tomato right and so the only thing that comes close to that is you know the the encounter on june the 7th by this witness up there about the ferris matter so one matter it's this the it's the chris wilson co-counsel fee fee issue and that it was the only thing he was confronted about in the afternoon before the murder and has to prove the uh, state of mind of the defendant, not solely what this witness knew at that moment in time, but what uh, the defendant knew that is subject to exposure. So, Your Honor, in the um, with regard to the rest just I issue, um, we had briefed 
State v. King, 334SC504, and that is somewhat similar in that it involved thefts for someone stealing money, and, and there were remote thefts, and there was a theft the night before or close in time to the murders, and, and the claim was that the murders were done to get money from the victim and that we had thefts earlier in the, the day or the day previous, and then number of thefts months and years before. The judge give a 403 analysis, 403, 404 analysis in King? Well, it, it, the trial judge allowed it in. The Supreme Court, Justice Burnett in 1999, overturned Judge Hitch Harwell uh, for, for admitting the evidence. How? Conducting a 404 analysis, 403 analysis? Well, I mean, they have a footnote in there. You have to, you have to, you have to do what we're doing now. Yes, sir. But in the case, they said, while the remote thefts may have been minimally relevant show motive under law, the prejudicial effect of this evidence far outweighed the slight probative value. So the Supreme Court did a 403 analysis. And that's in footnote 5, Your Honor. Judge Newman postpones a final decision regarding the admissibility of the defendant's financial crimes. He indicates that after lunch, the court will resume the hearing of witness testimony in the presence of the jury and then calls for the recess. After the lunch break, the jury is escorted back into the courtroom and the prosecution calls investigator Dylan Hightower to the stand. Mr. Hightower appears to be in his 40s. His head is shaved and he wears a tan suit, white shirt, and yellow striped tie. Prosecutor John Conrad begins his questioning by asking Mr. Hightower about his background. Investigator Hightower states that he has a Bachelor of Arts degree in Sociology from the University of South Carolina. He received training in various aspects of law enforcement, including call detail record analysis, cellular forensics, and historical cell site analysis. He has been a certified law enforcement officer for several years. Conrad then delves into Hightower's role in the 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office and the office's previous association with Murdoch. As part of your job as an investigator at uh, 14th Circuit, your role is to uh, help with cell, tower, cell records and cell tower uh, information, correct? Yes, sir, among other things. And you've also had training on downloading and doing extract, extracts from phones as well, correct? I do, yes, sir. Okay. Uh, is it unusual for you to respond to murder scenes in the 14th Circuit? No, sir, not at all. You've personally met the defendant in this uh, uh, in this case, Mr. Uh, Alex Murdaugh, is that correct? Yes, sir, I did. All right. And does uh, Mr. Alex Murdaugh, or at least at one point, have an association with the 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office? Yes, sir, he did. What was that association? Uh, he was identified as a volunteer solicitor uh, within our office. Uh, when you say assistant solicitor, what does an assistant solicitor do? Uh, they prosecute cases in general sessions court. In your role, you've participated in a number of trials before, correct? I have. I've been doing this for approximately uh, coming up about 12 and a half years. Okay. Uh, have you had an opportunity to participate in any trials with the defendant, Richard uh, or Alexander Murdoch? Uh, yes, sir. There was one. And approximately when it was that? Probably 2015, 2016. It was a murder case out of Hampton County. And what role did uh, Mr. Alexander Murdoch fill in that case? Uh, he was essentially one of the prosecutors on the case. Uh, his father, Randolph Murdoch, was technically the lead on the case and who I spoke with and met with prior to my testimony in the trial. Conrad next asks Investigator Hightower about his actions at the crime scene on the day after the shootings of Paul and Maggie. Let's move forward to June 8th of 2021. Uh, you recall that day, sir? Yes, sir, I do. And did you have uh, an occasion to respond to 4147 Moselle Road 
uh, here in Hanford, Colleton County? Yes, sir, I did. Briefly explain uh, how you became involved and why you responded out there on that day. So that morning, uh, multiple phone calls were crossing through multiple employees throughout our office uh, regarding the incident that occurred. Uh, we then all, we being uh, myself, two other investigators, uh, my solicitor and my deputy solicitor, uh, traveled to Sled Low Country here in Walterboro and attended a briefing involving all the law enforcement agencies uh, responsible for the investigation. Um, during that briefing, we learned more about uh, the particulars of what had occurred, uh, and then afterward, we had all traveled together in multiple vehicles uh, to 4147 Moselle Road. Uh, so yourself and several other uh, 14th Circuit investigators responded, correct? Yes, sir. I drove uh, uh, with one other investigator riding with me. One additional investigator met us there, uh, Captain Ryan Neal, uh, with, with South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, uh, was in the vehicle with Solicitor Stone and, and Deputy Solicitor Thornton. And now, you, you just testified that it's not unusual for you yourself to respond to murder scenes, correct? No, sir, and, and all of the murder cases that I've been involved with and any type of criminal proceeding, probably 95% of those scenes I've actually gone to. Was it unusual for the solicitor to, to respond to a scene that quickly after a... Uh, an incident in your experience? No, sir, not at all. Again, uh, we, as a staff, uh, involved with the prosecution team, we had always traveled to a crime scene uh, if we could go to a courtroom. All right, and just so it's clear, I, I don't know if you said it yet, but who is the solicitor of the 14th Circuit? Solicitor is Duffy Stone. Right. And he'd be your direct uh, boss, right? Uh, I go through the deputy solicitor, Sean Thornton, okay. but... Uh, he'd be the ultimate boss. The ultimate boss, okay. Solicitor Stone, yes. Right. And once you got to the scene, uh, what did you do? Once we uh, arrived on scene, we met with Captain Ryan Neal, kind of all in a group. Uh, Captain Neal uh, then walked around the scene and kind of noted different points of view, uh, different pieces of um, the, the, the crime scene had already been relinquished at that point by the crime scene agents. Uh, there was no crime scene tape up. It was wide open. There are multiple members of the law firm there, uh, other uh, sled agents as well. We had all kind of walked around the scene, around the barn, around the kennels, identify the, the points of interest of where each of the bodies were with Paul and Maggie, uh, and then kind of circulated around the property and got a better visual of what all actually occurred. Conrad then asks the witness a series of questions about his use of drone imagery to document the crime scene layout and the location of the victim's bodies. And while you're there, did you bring any equipment with you uh, to help aid in the investigation? Yes, sir, I did. What did you bring? Uh, our 14th Circuit Solicitor's Office drone. I'm going to show you some pictures. Do you recognize those pictures, sir? Yes, sir, I do. What are those pictures? Uh, this is drone imagery of the scene uh, right around the kennels and the general vicinity around the kennels. And that was from a drone you operated? Yes, sir, it is. And about what time do you recall that you took those pictures and what day? Uh, it was on June 8th of 2021 between 1.30 and 2.30 p.m. The prosecutor hands the pictures to defense attorney Dick Harpudlian, who takes a minute to review them and tells Judge Clifton Newman that he has no objection to the exhibits. The judge then admits them into evidence and Conrad displays them for Investigator Hightower on the courtroom monitor. Okay, can you see this picture on your screen, Investigator Hightower? Yes, sir, I can. Well, what is this image of? So this is closest, kind of in the, the direction of the house, uh, looking back towards the hangar area, uh, as well as the dog kennels off to your right. Uh, my vehicle uh, is right dead center in the in the picture, and then other sled agents' vehicles uh, were over on the left. And I'm going to ask you to step down real quick to point out a couple things. Can you point out uh, from what you were told when you were on scene approximately where Paul Murdoch's body was found on that picture? 
Paul's body was was right here near the dog kennels. Okay. And where was my Maggie's body? She would have been right under this uh, this area over here, uh, just on the corner around the edge. And, and you testified by the time you got to the scene, the slate crime scene had cleared it and it flooded, correct? Yes, sir. And when when you say you can take take a seat again, um, when you say that crime scene had cleared, what does that mean to you? It was no longer an active crime scene. Uh, once the crime scene tape is removed, it's no longer active. So other individuals could could walk and view the crime scene at that point? Yes, sir, that is correct. And with that, we conclude this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our review of the testimony of investigator Dylan Hightower as he discusses the details of the crime scene and the efforts to find Maggie Murdoch's mobile phone. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracon. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.